As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody, I'm Danny Kelly and this is of course the view from the Lane The Athletic's Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by two more chums from The Athletic, Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare to reflect on that nil-nil draw at Everton yesterday. I would make a point here because I think it's interesting. Charlie, you were there uh, live and in the flesh. I watched it live on television and Jack, you've watched it actually because you, you were busy elsewhere. You've watched it this morning so we're going to get slightly different views. What, what did you make of it, uh, Charlie? Was it really the, uh, as bad a game as you as you say in the, in your piece? It wasn't great. It was interesting, actually, though. Again, just adding in a fourth uh, way of what of consuming that game. Ah. When I watched the highlights on Match of the Day Two, it made it seem quite a lot more eventful and interesting. Though I guess it was quite short highlights, so maybe you know you, you condense most games to a few minutes. It will seem fairly interesting. It just never. I don't know. It felt like two teams for whom. A point wasn't a disaster. Spurs actually, set, I felt, settled for a point quite early on, which surprised me a little bit because Everton were missing a lot of their best players and were pretty low on confidence and I felt were flagging after that kind of flurry of activity in the second half where they had the penalty, then it got overturned, etc., etc. It was all right. It was just fairly low on quality, I thought. As I write in my piece and has been documented, Spurs, again, not having a shot on target. And it was just too often their final ball let them down. Like They they, they created opportunities to create opportunities, but then would, would mess up the pass. Yeah, that's and... quite a long way from scoring goals, isn't it? Creating well, it opportunities I mean, th- to create opportunities. This is the thing. I feel like the bar is so low that <laughs> yeah. we're kind of now celebrating the fact that, well, at least we're getting into positions to create chances to score goals. Like, of course, we haven't scored a goal in five and a half hours or whatever it is but uh yeah it's uh that's what the uh the legacy of the Nuno era I suppose what about you Jack um you got up early uh, did whatever one does early in the morning fed the cats or whatever and um put yourself through watching um the Spurs Everton game what did you make of the well, come on to Spurs in a minute what did you make of the game itself well I thought it was quite high energy you know there was lots of back and forth and pressing and tackling but 
there was almost no... I don't think there was a single moment of quality in the final third at either end. Apart from the the moment where the penalty was given before it was taken away, it never felt like a goal was going to be scored at all. Like I felt like it was one of those games where it could have gone on for four, five, six, seven, eight hours and it would have reached the, would have reached the same result. So overall, I felt like uh, even as I watched it, it left almost no impression on me whatsoever. <laughs> not even... I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, we'll talk about it, like, not even Giovanni Lo Celso shot against the post... That was good. That was as good as it got, really. But um, beyond that, like Charlie said, it was um, Spurs were getting kind of two or three passes away from scoring a goal and then things would break down, which shows you how, you know, there is obviously, in the creative sense, there's still a huge amount of work to be done to get this team up to up to where they should be. I should say as well, we're, we're not just like horrible sadists. We did warn Jack that what he had in store we we weren't saying to him like you have got to rewatch this game this. yeah this <laughs> is a n- this. i know it sounds i know it's nil nil but this is a nil nil for the ages he went in with his eyes open let's just say as well that our, our esteemed and beloved colleague james moore refused to come on here today because he was so appalled by the standard of the game and spurs's performance um that may be <laughs> that may be the shortest honeymoon any manager's ever had i suspect um with, with james he'll recover and we'll get him back on uh, maybe for thursdays podcast i have to say i took a slightly different view of it now again there are several things here one um the bar with me and spurs is very low at the moment they don't have to do a lot to gain my affection i actually enjoyed the second half of the game once everton were denied that uh, that penalty and you know it could have gone either way obviously everton's one of those grounds newcastle is another Oddly, Arsenal is another. When things go against the team through refereeing, then the crowd starts to have far far too much to say. And I thought the Everton crowd were far too much in the game and giving the referee plenty in that second half. And I'm pretty. It's a different sort of sound, though, isn't it? Like Goodison crowd angry at a ref creates a very specific sound, yeah. which can only you could hear it anywhere, and you would know that's yes. Goodison Park crowd angry about a throw. That's not getting a throw in, yeah. or how is that, or a corner, or a goal kick. Whereas at the Emirates, it's a bit more of a how is that not a foul on <laughs> Rosicky or whatever. Turf Moor is quite specific as well. The the, the just the booing that yeah. um, teams like Tottenham get when they come down. I think there's very much a kind of southern an animosity towards southerners and their softness. I note that regionalism, particularly in the north of England, is one of the isms that's still very much allowed. Um, that teams from the south can get all kinds of abuse just because of their geographical location. You're absolutely right, Jack. Though um, I think the good, the Goodison sound for me. You're right. Arsenal. It sounds like a baby animal has been hurt in a trap. Um, but uh, at Everton, there's definitely a hint of keep this up, ref, and we'll be on the pitch. Don't worry about that, isn't there? The upshot was that it was a very combative second half, and and this is how low my expectations of Spurs have gone. And I take your point about them not having a shot on goal before. I mean, they should all be fined. You can't go through. <laughs> I mean, shoot from the halfway line, shoot from the your own penalty area, but get, let's get that stat off the books. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Spurs would have lost that game many, many times in the last 18 months because they would have not defended quite as rigorously as they did. They would have retreated entirely to the edge of their own penalty area, certainly under the last stage of Mourinho's reign, and something would have gone wrong. Well, even that fixture two years ago, which was right at the the, the dog days of Pochettino, they uh, conceded a late equaliser. And you always felt like they were going to concede a late equaliser. Obviously, this time they didn't have a lead to defend. But yeah, I I think that is fair. that They have looked very... uh, frail and this is the first draw of the season so it has been very all or nothing for want of a better phrase so at least they were able to just come out of this with a point on a day where they didn't play very well you're right said that they kind of accepted that 
Um, if you uh, include Giovanni Lo Celso not being able to get a corner into the penalty area um, oh, against, against 10 men, um, that was the most accepting of the draw thing I think I've ever seen in my life. And uh, forgive my angry intervention into our WhatsApp group saying you should never pull on that shirt again. That's how I felt at the time. <laughs> And I must say, I don't feel much different now, to be honest about well, it. Well, Danny, you did also say that Nuno should have been sacked at halftime of North London Derby. I was right and about that's that a as take, well. That's a take that's got better and better <laughs> oh, over yeah. the, uh, that, that, the subsequent weeks. That is enriching like a cake, with al- a Christmas cake with alcohol <laughs> in it, waiting for Christmas Day to come round, isn't it? Yeah, um, let's, is... All right, look, so they, they fought hard, they got a draw, and people will say up onwards and upwards. Um, but, of course, the elephant in the room with that statement... Uh, Jack is this ongoing gold route. I mean, a gold route is a gold route. You can come up against Manuel Neuer in great form. You can be thwarted by close offside decisions and and uncooperative woodwork. But if you don't have any shots on target, you simply cannot score a goal. What is it, 227 minutes? Yeah. Without a shot on target? Yeah. I was looking this up earlier. That is 227 minutes is so long. It's it's basically four hours. If you played the complete works of Bob Dylan, only the studio albums, for 227 minutes, you would get through Bob Dylan, the freewheeling Bob Dylan, the times they are changing, another side of Bob Dylan, and then you'd get right to the very end of bringing it all back home with It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, which would start two minutes short of the 227 minutes. So Dylan would have gone electric by the time... The, Dylan would have gone electric by the time that you would have got and to that. And we'd be shouting Judas, Judas, wouldn't we, from the audience. Yeah. If I could go to your house now, I'd give you a big lick up the side of the face. I know you're not sure you'd want that, but that's what I would do. <laughs> Once you start comparing Tottenham's gold routes to the length of individual Bob Dylan albums... There were some early Beatles albums that were only about half an hour. You could listen to them about eight times over. Snakes and Ladders, the live Broad Stewart and the Faces album, comes in at 28 minutes. And we're now working out, hey, you know, what? how many really short albums could you listen yeah. to? Um, or two, two whole tales from the topographic ocean um, since Spurs last scored. What are we going to do about since it? Since Spurs last had a shot a, a on target. Yeah, that's, shot not, target. Yeah, that's shot a shot on target. Let's not... Well, I presume, yeah. I'm hoping uh, 227 minutes. I'm going to work out what my favourite film is during the course of the day that comes in at 227 minutes. What about something minutes. like, I don't know, like Apocalypse Now Redux. Yeah. That's incredibly long. Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, that's a... Isn't I'm a massive a fan of a long film. I like any almost any film over three hours. I think yeah, this will this will do for me. But I'm not so sure about shots on target for Spurs. But here's Apocalypse the- Now Redux is 202 minutes, so you could watch yeah. Apocalypse Now Redux and, stop, and, and then stop, have and 25 stop. minutes. Well, you could stop for a cup of tea in the middle as well. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Make a sandwich. Gone with the wind. Very very long. That way yeah. Um, I, did, I did a list comes the in other just day. Under four hours. Oh, very good as well. I did a list the other day of about 20 films over three hours that I really, really like. But let's get back to this, if I may. <laughs> because otherwise I'm going to start discussing films by uh, by Bondarchuk in the original Russian. And we don't need that on this podcast, do we? Oh, no, we don't need that on this podcast. Save that for Thursday. Yeah. It's International Week. What are we going to do about this? What are Spurs going to do about this? I mean, let's go around the table. As always, I'll throw one of you under the bus first. Charlie, you know, he's he's... He's this genius manager. He's the second highest paid manager in the world. The highest paid manager in the world, incidentally, um, Diego Simeone not doing so well at the moment and in danger of being knocked out of the Champions League. What are we going to, what's he going to do about this balance between... Uh, no, it's no balance. What is he going to do about getting Spurs to get some shots? Well, at least, yeah, and again, like I said, this seems ridiculous in a game where you've had no shots on target again, but at least they were in the position... Like, there were a couple... There was one in the second half... That I referred to in the piece where Kane's running through, running towards goal. He's got Son kind of herring on the outside of him. 
very bread and butter pass for someone as good as Kane, especially when it's Son he's linking up with and he, and he overhit it. So at least you feel like, well, once they can get a bit sharper, work on those attacking patterns like he's done so well at other clubs, then maybe they can you know, have a bit more synchronicity, which they just don't seem to have had this season. The worry is, and we've gone on about this, you know, international break comes up. So that kind of decimates that time on the training pitch and the Europa Conference League, which I know, Danny, you're desperate to win. But I think it would be so in Spurs' interest to get out of that competition. You look at what Conte did in 16-17 with that Chelsea title winning team. Talking to people, they, they say, Conte, there is basically no manager they'd rather have with that week on the training pitch than Antonio Conte. He's had no preseason as well, which is so important to him. And I, that, that to me is the big thing, is just getting that time on the training pitch. If they can have that, I think they'll sort this out a lot quicker. Without it, it will take time. What about you, Jack? Can you see a way for Spurs to become a team that's potent in attack? I would consider playing some different players. I think a lot of the team picks itself, but I'm not sure you need Hoiberg and Skip in the middle of the pitch when you've got players like Lacelso and Dombele Winks who are probably a little bit more creative who they could play instead. I'm also not convinced you need Lucas Moura. Given how Tottenham play, you know, a lot, a lot of it goes through Lucas because Kane and Son play stay pretty high up, whereas Lucas is always there to show for the ball. And yet Lucas, for all his energy, just does have a habit of holding on to the ball too long or tries to beat too many players and then runs into a defender. And I just maybe the solution would be something like, I don't know, Lo Celso where Lucas is and then Ndombele where Skip is. And then all of a sudden you've got two more creative players in the team. I mean, what's interesting with that is that Skip is suspended for the next league game because he's picked up five yellows. So Conte does have a decision to make. Does he go like for like with Skip? And the obvious like for like is, is Harry Winks. And I know a lot of people would say, you know, they don't think Winks should start, but he played well against Vitesse. Or does he bring in... Uh, and Dombele to play that role, or Lo Celso, or both. And like Jack says, move Lo Celso further forward, or Ndombele further forward. Because the fact that uh, Conte's played 3-4-3 so far, that's basically given Mora a place in the first team, which some people thought Conte would go 3-5-2, and he may yet do that. And if you do go 3-5-2, then that probably means Ndombele is more likely can come in for Mora. So it will be interesting to see. And I... And I made the same point in the in my piece from yesterday I, I do just wonder whether um, Conte does think is having a double pivot in front of a back three overkill and is that coming at the expense of creating chances it's a balance and he talked about it after he was using this word stable that that was very important and that he didn't say this in so many words but the inference was that that starts with the defense and so you want to sort that out and I get that because Spurs have been shaky for a number of years but the interesting thing is is that that felt like the key thing he had to sort out when he came in, Conte. But I think also attacking does feel like a big problem. I mean, Spurs have scored nine goals in 11 league games. Yeah. Only Norwich have scored fewer. That is really, really, really bad. And that's not just over the last couple of games. That's all season long. And while it's very easy for us to say that Luke that and Dombele and Lascelles should start, and obviously they are exciting creative players the fact is that definitely questions about their work off the ball their defensive abilities and these are hugely important things to Conte and I kind of understand why he's done it this way like the fact is that all like managers love Lucas Mm. Mourinho loved Lucas Conte's picked Lucas Pochettino picked Lucas like he's he's easy he's easy to criticize Lucas but he managers respect the fact he's very you know he does what they say he works very hard he doesn't complain he's he's quite a reliable 
He's just like a reliable, serious, experienced professional. He also brings a little bit of pace into him. And if you watch yeah, Skip and yeah. Hoiberg wandering about, you know, he also brings a little bit of pace into the middle of the team as well. I'm going to put another name in for re- replacing Skip if he's going to play a double pivot. I think you bring Sanchez into the back three and put Eric Dyer next to Hoiberg. Now, Spurs fans, go on, eat me alive. Go on, have a go at me on Twitter. <laughs> but that's what I think is possible to do as well. Because a lot of people forget that the very best Spurs team of recent memory had Eric Dyer in midfield. And he really did allow the centre-halves to do a lot. Of, sorry, the, the wing-backs do a lot of things. I mean, in that case, it was Walker and Rose to do a lot of things that they might not otherwise have been allowed to do. But I do think that the problem here is a back three with a holding two. It is, quote, stable, but it does not give up a lot on the on the attacking side. Why a two and a two like Brazil used to do? Fine, two centre backs, two holding midfielders. There's your defensive block, and your full backs become out and out attackers. It does seem over the top to me. And at the moment, since we're looking for ways to improve it, it's down to those two wing backs. I thought Emerson Royal was probably Spurs' best player at Everton, and he did most of the things he's supposed to do pretty well. I thought Reguilon. He is in a league full of very fast runners. He is a very, very fast runner, and that's a great thing to be. But his touches on the ball are inconsistent to say the, you know, to, to put it mildly, and you could almost say utterly unpredictable. Otherwise, the difficult chance he got where the ball came across and he had to hit it first time that could have gone into the net easily, be, being him, or it could have gone anywhere else. That's fine. That's a difficult chance, but. Regulation crossing, regula- regulon regulation crossing. Um, someone else have to work out the pun there. He, they're not, they're not consistent. They can go straight onto the head or foot the person he's aiming for, or they can hit the, the opposite corner flag, and he's got to improve on that because at the moment that is Spurs' only creative outlet. Well, what's interesting on that is uh, Regulon was talking after the game and saying that he's been talking to Hakimi at Inter to kind of get a sense of how Hakimi became this sort of all-conquering wing-back under, uh, under Conte last season because Hakimi similarly took a lot of work from Conte to get him to be the player he wanted to be. And then once he had, and he was actually taken out of the team whilst Conte kind of polished some rough, rough edges, but then he became one of their biggest attacking outlets outside of Martinez and Lukaku. And this James Hallcastle reliably informs me this. So it'll be interesting to see if Regulon can do that because he has similar potential to be a big winner. I did a piece last week looking at kind of, you know, which players will benefit from Conte's arrival. And it feels like potentially Regulon is one such player. And yeah, I agree with you on Real. I mean, I was saying this to Jack on Thursday night. Royale against Vitesse played really well, was able to get forward and do more of that kind of attacking that we we haven't seen so much of him from. I think he has looked better as a wing-back and he played well against Everton. I also think it's interesting with that point on the double pivot is that yesterday Hoybier had quite a, a lot of license to get forward, more so than usual. He was getting forward quite a lot, especially in the first half. And then obviously it was him getting forward that led to the red card for Everton, which is encouraging for him in one sense, but it's also, to me, suggests that Conte, what Conte wants from that role, I'm not sure Hoybier is necessarily the man. And you do think Conte will have someone who he'll want to bring someone in, I think, to do that role, because I don't think he wants two sitters. Probably at, at the moment, you'd say he, 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 he'd want Frank Kessie to do that. And we know that they're, yeah. they're desperately yeah. trying to get hold yeah. of him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't think... You know, neither Skip nor Hoybier is that player, I don't think, necessarily. Skip may develop into that. He's he's obviously very young. But I just thought that was quite an interesting insight into what I think Conte will want from his central midfielders if he's going to continue to play that way. 
There is this classic problem with Hoybjerg. I know he scored that nice goal. What, it was against Villa, wasn't it? But generally speaking, yeah. we've seen a quite and Liverpool last season. Yeah, we've seen a fair bit from Hoybjerg this season that he'll get the ball. You know, he'll, he'll go forward. He'll get the ball in the final third, and I'm not really know what to do with it. No, or he just won't. He won't have the kind of the the idea or the quality to actually do anything useful with the ball. So it, it does make you think. Well, why would you not rather have like Ndombele in that position, for example? Because I suppose the answer to that is, and help me with this, I need some therapy here. Both Ndombele and Lo Celso, it seems to me, have had a, a, albeit stuttering because of falling out with managers and in the case of Giovanni Lo Celso injuries, they've had quite a few chances. Maybe not a run in the team that uh, you would expect for the kind of money that was paid for both of them. But if you're being abs- trying to be neutral about it, they've done nothing to deserve being in the team at the moment, have they? They haven't shown any real quality of it. And in both cases, it's nearly two and a half years now they've been at the club. I think Ndombele has and Lo Celso hasn't. I really like Lo Celso, but the fact is that since that first run in his first season, kind of pre-COVID under Mourinho, when he was Spurs' best player, really, since then, he hasn't put a string of good performances together or really done much of any note at all. Whereas Ndombele, I think... I think Ndombele has been okay this so far this season. I think every time he plays, he'll usually do one or two good things, which will really imp- elevate Tottenham's level as a team. So I think he's worth. I definitely think he's worth putting in the team. Whereas I think on Lacelso, you're still doing a little bit more in potential. I think on Ndombele, that is a bit harsh. I do think he's done enough this season. I think he's been one of Spurs' better players this season. And again, you can say that's a low bar. But we judge him to higher standards we maybe do. because yeah. his ceiling is so high and he costs a lot. It's kind of telling that we've had this conversation, you know, we've had this conversation about which players might Tottenham bring into the team to improve their creativity. And uh, unless I've like literally not been listening to you two, we haven't mentioned Deli Ali yet. Yeah, I had that Ooh. exact thought. He doesn't really figure in like, how could you, like, where would you play him in this team to make it better? After I wrote the piece yesterday and I, was then thinking about it as as one does as they go to sleep and I thought oh when I talked about who would come in to replace Skip and I talked about the Celso and Dombele I realized I hadn't mentioned Delhi and I kind of thought yeah that is a bit of an oversight but it sort of makes sense at the same time because I just don't I don't think he would play in that certainly in that two I think he'd be so far below Skip Hoybier and Dombele de Celso and Winks. I mean, Winks came on against Vitesse and I think he would be more likely to play in that position. So I think Delhi's chance would be if he decides that he wants to play, you know, 3-5-2 and then with someone behind Son and Kane, but does feel a little, a little bit of a way off. I hate selling good players. And we know we've had this argument already on this podcast about whether actually that's the right thing to do. But should Delhi is Delhi Ali actually going to have to just find another club in order to get some vestige of his old form back i think it's kind of bigger than delhi this i think that they've got to decide probably between now and january and if not between now and the summer of delhi and dombele la celso and winks are they part of conte's plans and if not they should sell them because they need the money there's lots of players out there that conte's going to want to bring in raising funds is a really important way to do that given the financial reality at the moment and if there's if they're never going to play Delhi, whether it's Delhi or Dombele or Winks or Lacelso, then they're better off selling them to someone else. Like they're all good at you know those guys are all mid twenties. They're all very talented players. They've all proven at various clubs and international level what they can do. And if they're not going to play, then they then they should be sold. And at the moment, if Delhi can't get in the team between now and January, then I think he probably should be sold. Yeah, I mean it's just so. <sighs> What what must be so frustrating is how much they could have got for these players a few years ago. 
And then it's the question, well, do you then wait and see if their value goes back up or do you just cut your losses and say, we made a mistake, but we need to just move on? But yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like for Delhi, January will be interesting. Look, we're all thinking Newcastle. I think a lot of players, a lot of teams will be thinking a Newcastle is going to come in for my players, but it does feel like a potential solution. The real solution has to come on the training ground. The way that Conte coaches is that he drills the players precisely what movements to make, what combinations, who goes where, when, when the ball's here and the opponent's there. And it's all, it's all to do with learning this really kind of complex playbook until you've internalised it to the point where you can just reproduce these moves on the training pitch. They're kind of like, so that it's effectively automatic. That is the essence of Conte's management. And so that, and that means that, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take a while but it's the coaching, almost more important than the individual players themselves, that is what makes the Conte team click. But that's why I think the best January signing Spurs could make is not being in the Europa Conference League. I really believe that. I think that's that that would be a bigger bonus. And and do you still feel, Danny, would you rather if I could offer you Spurs go out of that competition and leave aside all the embarrassment of like hey, Spurs got knocked mm, out of this crap sure. import competition just the simple fact would you if I could offer you going out of that would you still rather be in it what is not? what is the what is the finishing league position with all this trailing we don't know that's you're having to, you're having to gamble on the fact that Conte has a week to himself with the players on the training pitch or you get to stay in the Europa Conference League would you still rather be in it um, yeah, I would. I think because I think I think they've got they've got a, a you know a decent chance of actually making the final. If they make the final, um, I think Conte's record in finals is pretty good um, because of course he just does willpower from the side of the pitch about uh, about winning these games. Um, I take your point though, Charlie. In a perfect world, he would have had a preseason, but we weren't in a perfect world. Um, we were onto our seventh managerial choice, who was appointed. And this is to uh, to defend Nuno when he had, he had hardly any chance to 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 do deal with the players. And I do think again that the training is right, but the players themselves, whatever whether they're getting fifty hours a week with Antonio Conte or fifteen, they've all got to look at themselves as well here now because they have this training ground, which everyone tells me is just the most amazing thing. They have this stadium in which to display their wares. They have a manager who nobody in their right mind except Antonio Cassano, who we'll come on to in a while, could think is no good. They've got no more excuses now, the Spurs players. Now I think about it, I think that the simple fact of having Conte means that they... Sh- I imagine that there's been a bit of a recalibration inside the club as to what their goals for the season are. Just because if you've got if they've got Conte, they have to go for fourth. If it was just Nuno, then you could say, well, we're probably not going to get fourth, so we might as well just... Let, let's try and win a cup because we haven't won a trophy for a while. Mm. Because if you've got Conte... Yeah, if you've got Conte, I think it's all about the top three are going to run away with it, but there's a real, we've got a real shot at fourth. Spurs are currently only six points away from fourth. And then I think, I kind of feel like now they should just go all in on coming fourth this season. And that means not caring quite so much about the Europa Conference League because I think they've got bigger fish to fry now. The Europa Conference League, if Spurs don't win it, it's ha-ha, you didn't win this rubbish competition. If you do win it, it's ha-ha, the only competition you can win is this rubbish competition. <laughs> it just seems to be so little upside. And I know there's the... Europa Europa League place reward but I have no doubt that they would finish in the top six uh, without this competition no doubt whatsoever now incidentally um, I'm going to do something for us uh, for the next podcast I'm going to work out how many times you could listen to all of Bob Dylan's officially released studio albums since Spurs last won a trophy could you how many times <laughs> could you listen to his entire oeuvre 
Um, it's going to be an amazing number. It's going and I'm useless at math. It's going to take me the whole three days <laughs> for the next podcast to work it out. Listen, well, wasn't it five thousand days last week? It was five thousand days. There was a day last week. I think it was the. I think it may well have been the game in Holland. I think it might have been uh, Conte's first game in charge marked five thousand of your English days and traverses of the earth around the sun. Many thirteen is it since Spurs won a trophy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, deep breath, everyone. We're back. A nil-nil draw at Everton, which my colleagues here on The View from, uh, from the Lane were not impressed, particularly with Spurs' performance, but not impressed with the quality of the game. Spurs, though, if you take out the uh, Europa League games they've got coming up, have got an interesting run of Premier League games. Now, one of the reasons, of course, that Nuno had to go was he, you know, we ended up playing Manchester United and Arsenal and Chelsea in the early days of the season, of course, Manchester City as well. But they now have a run of um, fixtures, and one is careful how you how you phrase this against teams who they ought to be able to get a positive result, maybe even win the matches. Just to let you know that coming up in November and December, the next four league games are at home to Leeds, away to Burnley, home to Brentford, who are beginning to feel the realities of the Premier League. And then home to Norwich. I mean, honestly, I guess if Antonio Conte had hand-picked the fixtures, allowing fact to have a one-away fixture, he could not have picked a, a more clement bunch than these. Could he, Jack? Yeah, it's a pretty good run of games they've got coming up. Uh, to be honest, Leeds United have not been, you know, they can be on their day a really difficult team to play against, but they certainly haven't been recently. The loss of their cutting edge with Bamford has really exposed mm -hmm. some of the limitations of the great man's system. Also, yeah. they've proved themselves to be a very, they're an easy team to get shots off against, so it might well be that that long, the shotless run could, you know, uh, this this might look very stupid in two weeks' the time. The drought could be over. The long, <laughs> the long shoot, shooting drought could be over if, uh, if Lee, given that Leeds love to play so aggressive high up the pitch, everyone flying forward, everyone pressing. So in that sense, it should be quite a good game. But I think so much of it hinges on what can Conte get across to the players that he's got at his disposal in the next two weeks in the training ground. Yeah, and he's, he's lucky in a way he's got a few players who aren't on international duty. Quite a few now don't play for their national teams yeah. or at the moment don't play for their national teams. So that, that you think would help Spurs. And first team players as well. So Reguilon's not in the Spain squad, so he'll be there. And Dombele is not in the France squad. Dyer obviously, still not in the England squad, along with Deli and Winks, no longer in the England squad. Uh, Lucas Moura is going to be there. So that's like half of the team. Stephen Bergwijn no longer in the Dutch squad. So that's, that's a decent number of first team players. So Leeds, Burnley, Brentford, Norwich, Charlie. That should be... And with no disrespect to any of those teams, that should be a springboard for getting back into, at the very least, the, the, the fight for the, for the top four. Yeah, I mean, I'm loath to ask us to put numbers on it because I did that last time before that run of games against Palace, Arsenal and Chelsea. And, you know, I think we all went for 
five points, maybe seven points, you know, maybe even nine. And then we sort of, that ended up with a big fat zero. I'd like, but... to, I'd like to check who said nine, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but with those games, I mean, you've you've got to be thinking, haven't you? You win those, you win those three home ones, and yeah, get a point get a draw Burnley, Burnley, yeah. And they've obviously they've won that fixture. Well, they won it last season, and they've already won it this season in the Carabao Cup. And also, the the nature of the league table, they're really not that far off it. I mean, even with these drop points, but that fourth place currently occupied by Liverpool, obviously with West Ham winning. But Spurs are six points off fourth. And you'd like to think that with those games, they can do some damage and kind of eat away at that deficit a little bit. My fear with West Ham going to the second half of the season is obviously like the first team is playing so well at the moment and they're really they're really good to watch, but they don't have huge amounts of strength and depth. And I think they're very reliant on, you know, they're obviously very reliant on Antonio and Rice like more yeah. than anyone else. And, if those two got injured and given that they're, they're juggling, they're obviously still in the League Cup because that's where they're playing Tottenham. They're going to go through from the Europa League. And we know how exhausting the Europa League gets second half of the season when you're playing knockout games that you want to play a strong team in. And then it just really skews your calendar. And so I wonder whether at West Ham they'll be thinking, well, are we going to go all out for a trophy this year? Are we going to try and get top four in the Premier League? Or things can look so good in January, February, March. And then by the time it gets to difficult Thursday night away games in Europe and then coming back from Premier League game on Sunday, things everything can kind of collapse at the same time. So I think that's going to be a really big challenge for West Ham second half of the season. Listeners, we've got a very small favour to ask. We want to make sure we're making the very best football podcasts out there. So we need to know what you like and what we can do better. We've prepared a survey over at theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk and if you complete it, you'll be entered into a prize draw to win one of three £100 Amazon shopping pouches. Now, we're only after the feedback from UK listeners at this stage and you can only win those Amazon shopping vouchers if you live in England, Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland. So if that applies to you, then please head on over to theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk That's theathleticsurvey.smsinc.co.uk Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. A 
couple of other things I want to talk to you about. Antonio Cassano, a, a player for whom the word mercurial and a human being for whom the word unpredictable might have been invented. In many ways, the Mario Balotelli of the previous generation played for a you know, in that last great Roma team and played for Real Madrid in his time. These days, a, a very, very unpredictable pundit on Italian hmm. football. He's had this to say in, in a double swipe at both Paritici, Paritici, whatever James did try to, James Hawkcastle did try to teach me, I've moved on, um, and Antonio Conte. Talking about the sale of João Cancelo to Manchester City, and of course, he is arguably the best player in the Premier League this season um, for 40 million. He said, it seems really crazy. 40 million, says Antonio. I wouldn't have sold Cancelo for 400 million. And the sports director who sold it, Fabio Paritici, doesn't even know how he's found himself at Tottenham. Selling Cancelo is like spitting in the face of football, is the <laughs> quote from... Uh, and, he, and, he, and he went on to say that Conte was in on this as well. I think we'd have to keep an eye on the context of, uh, of Signor Cassano because he appears to, to be onto something here, does he? Or has he gone mad? Well, he'd certainly be a good voice to get for uh, for pieces. Sounds sounds pretty punchy. N- known for that in his playing career as well. I mean, yes, Cancelo selling him to City, that doesn't seem to have aged, not a decision that's aged that well, but they still, I think they sold him for more than that as well. I think they sold him for a pretty tidy profit. Well, they got Danilo as part of the deal, the kind of like uh, yeah. utility man who played a little bit in Guardiola's first first two seasons at City. He was fine, but he, I mean, he's like a kind of... Uh, he's like a decent right back and left back, but he he's not in the same league as Cancelo with the ball. I think he's as well. Don't forget, this is for an Italian audience. It was on Christian Vieri's official Twitch channel, um, whatever that is. Um, uh, Would you frequent? Uh, oh yeah, I'm there. I'm there, dude. Um, but uh, he forgets, of course, that Italian clubs cannot match the spending power of Premier League clubs, and that virtually look at Lukaku. Virtually, well, exactly, virtually yeah. any player yeah. who does well in Italy is there to be picked off by the big and medium-sized clubs in the Premier League. A final thought, and this is um, this is more to do with psychedelics than it is to do with football. What do we make of the new Premier League ball? I always love it when we switch to the um, a coloured ball at this point in the season. It, it kind of it lets you know that Christmas is on its way. Yeah, I, I actually don't mind this design. It looks quite a lot like some of the Beaver Town branding, just to kind of link it to Spurs in a slightly ta- tangential way. If you're going to have a, a coloured ball, make it coloured, make it psychedelic, make it acidic. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And of course, when it comes up against Spurs' second sort of their universe kit, oh, yeah. like, well, oh, then, yeah, yeah. then, then, my friends, we're actually tripping while watching association football. And I can't, I must say, this has been something I've tried to achieve a lot over the years. Um, we're actually be, being paid, those of us who are paid to watch, are being paid to trip while watching football. I don't think I can think of a, a higher mountain that I could aspire mm-hmm. to climb. So thank you all for listening. And if you're not already a subscriber, you can read all of our articles on Conti's appointment and this very dramatic first week in charge by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up at a 33% discount on a full subscription. You'll also be able to access all of our podcasts ad free. We're back on Thursday. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.